Ben, did you see the the stock market of stocks on Friday through the Omicron virus was was sending nasty ripples through the? I believe they call that a Black Friday sale, Michael. But yeah, stocks were down more than two percent. You know what was sleeping cuddly in my portfolio? What's that, Michael? My paintings. My paintings did not move one iota. According to Citigroup, Ben, art has the lowest correlation to developed equities of any major asset class. Contemporary art specifically had a lower loss frequency than the S&P 500 from 1995 to 2020. And even though past performance doesn't guarantee future results, history says there's a lower chance of huge losses when you're holding for the long term. Ben, you have seven paintings, if I'm right. I do. I can start my own museum. Uh, Do you have a digital gallery? (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) I had five. Now I have six. I bought that Pablo Picasso painting while we were on air with Scott Lynn from Masterworks. Check that out on Monday. So the good news about my six paintings, you don't need a million dollars, hundred million dollars for that matter, to buy a piece of Pablo Picasso. With Masterworks, which is the first and only platform that lets regular people like you and me invest in rare art, uh, you can do this. Masterworks is a unicorn. They have securitized 90 paintings with the SEC. So if you want to join us on the platform, head to masterworks.io slash animal to diversify today. That's masterworks.io slash animal. Of course, please see important disclosures at masterworks.io. Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson work for Ritholtz Wealth Management. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to Animal Spirits with Michael and Ben. Michael, I have finance brains sometimes where I feel like being involved in the markets means that my emotional triggers and things that I pay attention to are completely market-related sometimes. Your mood is correlated to the Dow? Not necessarily my mood. Well, sometimes it's opposite. I think there's a lot of ways in which finance has shaped me. Like my wife all the time says, you never show like any enthusiasm or get too high or too low. Or, like You're always just kind of in the middle. <laughs> I'm the opposite. But I think being involved in finance has kind of done that to me, where like I don't get too worked up about things because... In the markets, you try to teach yourself, never get too worked up. I think this is a personality thing. The market didn't do this to you. You did this to you. It could be. That's possible. Because I've been doing this almost as long as you have, and I still am flying Okay, where the That's market true. is going. But nuts. my point is, the Friday after Thanksgiving, the stock market fell more than 2%. And that's what it took for my dumb finance brain to think, oh, this new variant actually matters. And it happened really quick when the news started to come out. So you take your cues from the virus based on the stock market's reaction, which- Which I shouldn't do, but I do because I have a dumb finance brain. Where else are you supposed to get it from? Like, no offense, but like USA Today or Good Morning America? How else? Basically, Twitter and the stock market is how I figure this stuff out. I don't know. So the S&P was down 2% for the first time since September. Before that, it had only been down 2%. The last time was May. There's not many bumps in the road this year. This has been an extraordinarily calm market. So a 2% down day, which happens all the time, might have felt worse than it did. It was also Friday going to a long weekend. And it was also the nature of the drop, particularly because you see the companies that were leading on the day, Zoom, Peloton, you're like, oh, f- here we go again. And they take off, yes. 
the companies that were getting killed. It is bizarre. And even like Clorox. You haven't seen Clorox on the leaderboard for like a year and a half. I mean, you could say, well, it's all algorithms and there's no liquidity and whatever. So, that doesn't matter. But where are you mentally with this still being here almost two years later? Because for me, it's gone from March 2020 was fear, crippling uncertainty, what is going to happen? And then finally, you get some hope from the vaccine. And now to me, it's just kind of annoying that it's still here. I think how you personally have been impacted by the virus really impacts how you see it. Totally. After I got COVID, I've just come around to this is me thinking through my personal experience. I think everyone's going to get it. I don't know that for sure. But I think if it keeps hanging around like this and morphing and changing, obviously, you could stay ahead of it with boosters and different vaccines and stuff. But I think eventually, pretty much everyone is going to get it. So that's why after I got it, besides being sick and that just being terrible and sucking for a month or whatever it was, I was kind of relieved to have it out of the way and know that I was going to be okay. Here's what I'm nervous about. If this gets really bad, the variant, cases start to spike again. If the government tries to do something, some sort of mandate, whatever, I'm nervous. That's going to go really, I don't think, yeah, I think really, that ship has really sailed. poorly. I think people are done being told what they can and can't do, rightly or wrongly. I really hope it doesn't get to that point for, for, you know, for health reasons, for societal reasons. So we're at the point in Michigan where we're the worst state in the country right now. We have been for a few weeks. What is that? Meaning case numbers. We have the worst. No, I'm saying what's that about? Why is I don't is know. That? Maybe Why the variants are already here. After the waves go through like the Northeast and the South, somehow they get Michigan last. That seems like we've had three huge waves, but our hospitals are sending out word that they're full. Basically, I've heard stories from family members who went to the ER for a legitimate reason and got turned away because there was no beds left. Our pediatrician sent out an email a couple weeks ago saying, we're basically full from people coming in for appointments in the morning. We can't take any more people. And they have like a 25% positivity rate. But the crazy thing is, is we've all become kind of numb to it at this point because it's been going on so long. So Jim Bianco tweeted on Friday, the 10-year treasury yield ends down 16 basis points, most since March 2020. The reason is the same as March, an oh shit moment about COVID. The 10 year is at 1.4% as we speak. How high did it get? Eh, 1.7 maybe. So the market's bouncing a little bit. The 10 year, eh, it's coming off the lows, but wow, that was a big, that was a big, big drop. So I'm doing my part to get rid of this virus. Interest rates are just never going to rise again, I think. We talk about this all the time. What what is it going to take? Anyway, go ahead. So we had... Tarek, founder of Kalshi, that's K-A-L-S-H-I. I had a lot of people email me. How do you spell it? Kalshi. What does Kalshi do? Let me, let me read it right from the horse's mouth. Well, it's betting markets on binary outcomes of world events. You don't even need to read it. That's the sales pitch. That's true. So you could bet on what you think is going to happen with real world events, which we think has enormous implications for the potential, I don't want to say betting markets, for the investing markets, because- if you are going to like try and hedge the election, remember all of that in November? All that shit is never going away. When there was a date coming and people are trying to like jockey and position themselves, well, if this happens, then I think the dollar's going to do this. And then I think because of that, here's what rates are going to do. And then here's what I think. Just bet on the event. Instead of betting, what are the markets going to do after Brexit? Because remember, everyone thought the markets were going to get crushed after Brexit. Just bet on Brexit. All right. So I put my money where my mouth is, although there's only 100 bucks. So, but I. Do not want to see the Omicron, or whatever we're calling it. I don't want to see the Omicron spread. So what I did was I bet, no, Omicron will not make up greater than 1% of U.S. COVID cases by the new year, which- I love how you think that means that's you doing your part. 
Because <laughs> you, you bet against it. But I was late. I was late because I looked at the betting market on like, what day is today? I looked at the betting market on, I don't know, Friday maybe? And yes was 74 no was 29. So this says, will Omicron make up greater than 1% of U.S. COVID cases by the new year? And the stipulation is, is it estimated by the CDC to be strictly greater than 1% of total U.S. COVID cases? This is by January 5th is when this expires. So I'm wondering, I have nothing to base this on. Michigan has their crazy case counts. That's got to be in there already. Like, I bet we're probably already at 1% as it is, and we just don't know it. Is that possible? I said yes. You took the other side of me because you're a hater and you're not a patriot like I am. But the market went against me. So I could have got no for 29 cents the other day. What did I pay? 34 cents? So the market is saying that, yes, you idiot, of course. Right now it's saying there's basically a 70% chance that a case will be for this variant will be over 1% by the end of the year. In a month, basically. Who's a contrarian? Okay. This guy. Your payout could be higher. But I think this, yes, this is very cool how you can bet on these kind of things. And by the time we get to the 2024 election, I'm guessing these markets are going to be massive, especially for that stuff. If people can actually bet on the outcome of the election, who's going to win the Republican primary, who's going to be the president, it's going to be huge. What are those numbers that like we see on election night? Is that predicted? I don't know what site that is, but you can't. Now we can follow the graphs for these. Now we can actually unleash our real inner degens. My whole thing with the variant in the markets is I think there's people who are trying to say like, it's time to worry. And people say, no, it's time to not worry. Like, this is the time for me to say, I don't know. Until they say definitively, this thing can puncture the vaccine or it can't, whatever. I'm not going to make a statement either way. I don't care. Do you think that this is just algorithms at this point? Probably, because all this happens so fast. Like Peloton spikes. The interesting thing to me about like why my dumb finance brain reacted to it is the market hasn't reacted to COVID news in a long, long time. It hasn't cared about anything. It didn't really care about the Delta variant at all, right? They were selling from the second wave. The 5% correction was maybe part of that. My point is, do you think that any human being saw the Omicron, or however the hell you pronounce it, and said, I'm going to buy Peloton stock? Probably not. Of course not. But Peloton spiked on that day. It probably fell Here's since. what I did last weekend, though, that maybe this is very related. Maybe it's not. I bought a new Bowflex for my gym in my basement. A new Bowflex? I had a Bowflex. It's probably seven years old. Those bendy things that they have, they get a little worn out. I said, you know what? Nice flex. I, <laughs> I got my Bowflex last year and they're still brand new. You can't even but tell my whole thing is like pumping iron. I don't have the dumbbells like you. I have the whole contraption, like the home, everything in one, like the Nautilus. How are your lats? Let me see your lats. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the pull-up bar is for. This is one of the changes for me is I thought I'd go back to the gym and now I'm thinking like, I don't think I need to go back to the gym. I don't have the desire to go back to the gym. I've created enough of a home gym where I it's easier for me to just work out at home. walk around with like the cutouts here, like the string in the back? <laughs> the big milk jug of water. Yeah. Are you that guy or no. do you just wear a t-shirt? You can't work out on a Bowflex and be like a power lifter. <laughs> I'm not doing any power lifting like squats and that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> Do you grunt at the gym? <laughs> no, I'm not a grunter. <laughs> any feelings on Jack Dorsey being out of Twitter? I don't know. It was interesting. I mean, it's interesting how the stock goes up like 11% when he says he's gone and then they hire someone from internally on Twitter and that whole gain is wiped away. That's got to be kind of mess with your mind a little bit for both gentlemen. I mean, we've talked about this before, but has there ever been a company that's more culturally relevant that has had worse financial results than Twitter in this new era of new companies in this century? Hear me now. I'm going to talk about this with Josh Knight on what are your thoughts. So since Twitter went public back in 2013, the stock is up 2%. Oof. Over that same time, Ben, 
the Global X social media ETF is up 210%. If you would have told someone back then, 2,110 basis points. Listen, when Twitter went public, you could have said, in this next decade, Twitter is basically going to elect a new president. If you would have said, should I buy Twitter stock, you would have said emphatically yes, but didn't matter. 21,000 basis points, let the record show, versus two. It initially, in that first month after it went public, it screamed up to like 70 bucks. It's still down 43% from that level right now. Just a horror show. All right. $1.25 tree, LOLOL. What are your thoughts? <laughs> it's amazing that they've never raised their prices. Have they not raised their prices in 20 years? I think they probably changed the size of their stuff or the quality of their stuff. I don't know. This yeah. was a Rorschach test for people who want to push inflation. For 35 years, Dollar Tree has managed through inflationary periods to maintain. So basically, they broke the buck. But yeah, I think you're right. The packages were probably getting smaller. I mean, obviously, they're running a business. But if this is your hyperinflation case, right. <laughs> get the f*** out of here. Come yes. on. The funny thing is, they still have huge margins at their business. They make a ton of money still. Have you ever brought your kids to the dollar store? I went this weekend. So my kids, they think that's a treat. If we go to the dollar store and be like, you can pick out three things here. They think that's like the greatest place on earth. It's all junk unless you get... I don't know, food or shampoo. Not even close or, to true. Not even close to you true. You don't think so? The dollar sorry, tree that I sorry, went to has- the kids stuff that we get, like the toys, oh, that yeah, stuff's junk. Course, it ends up being thrown away the same day. Yeah, but they, yeah, they do stuff have stuff there. you can use. I agree. I'm just looking at the margins because you pointed them out. So I just want to take a peek. Huh? This looks pretty low. Whatever. I'm sure they make gobs of money. You can't find the it? The margins are not the point. No, but it just looks very low. Okay. No, no, no. Here it is. As of January 2021 on revenue of $25.5 billion, they had a gross profit of nearly $8 billion. Where are you looking at? Is on their income time? statement. If you look at their income statement, they have operating revenue of $25.5 billion and gross profit of $7.8 billion. I'm at their income statement. So time. they have like a 30% margin. That's pretty darn good All right. on a gross basis. A gross margin of 30% basically. All right. Not bad. All right. I'm looking quarterly. Are you at Dollar Tree? Yes. All right. I'm, all right. Whatever. 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 <laughs> Uh, that was my modern Shkreli impression. Oh, here's where the inflation has been. I found it. There's this thing. Listen, I like the Wall Street Journal. I like it a lot. I'm a subscriber. There's this thing called WSJ Pro Private Equity. You ever see this? No, I did not. Is that a new subscription thing? It's newish. I've seen it before. Never really paid it much mind. But it says Josh Kushner's Thrive Capital gains more flexibility to invest in crypto, public stocks. They're registering as an RIA. Oh, we're an RIA. This is a story that I'm interested in. I wanted to click in it. So it says, our intelligence, your advantage. Sign in or subscribe. So I try to sign in with my username. No, no, no. It says subscribe. So all right, I'll hit subscribe. What's going on? Let me see how I read this article. Request information. Ooh, fancy. Request information. All right, I'll request information. I hit that. This takes you to the next piece of the puzzle. Guess how much this costs a month? A lot. $192 a month. <laughs> Who... If you're paying $192 a month, no offense to the Wall Street Journal, you're not getting your news from the Wall Street Journal. Well, no, that's knowing your audience. That's knowing that private equity people will pay for it. That's the whole idea. Really? Don't you think? No, I think that yes. private equity people have their own sources. They don't need like to pay the Wall Street Journal. Private equity people are definitely paying for this. Come on. How many subscriptions do you think they have sold? I don't know. I'm going to guess 64. <laughs> I've never heard of it. So, By the way... Have you ever subscribed to a local newspaper before you have to pay now to read it online? Uh, we've got Newsday, and I don't think I subscribe. So I actually did the local Detroit Free Press. I used to live over there. I still like to follow that. I subscribe and get the couple free months or whatever, and then you pay like a dollar. So I did that so I could read some Michigan football stories, which 
Shout out to Michigan finally beating Ohio State. Thank you very much. I think I almost cried on Saturday when it happened finally. Were you drinking beers? No, I wasn't actually. To cancel a newspaper for a local paper, you have to call an actual number and talk to someone. You cannot cancel it online. How big of a racket is that? It's local. I mean, listen, they're struggling. All right. What do we got next? Speaking of, why are you canceling your local newspaper? You really are a patriot. I'm not going to read it anymore. All right. Shame on you. You know, Ben, I rugged myself again, but not really. Not really. So for the Constitution Dow, they didn't buy the Constitution. I meant to ask you about this. They were going to give people money back via the people token, which I was super stoked to get in on. But I'm a little bit bitter about this. There was a redeem button. So I hit redeem and all of a sudden I see my ETH come back. I'm like, I thought I was getting people token. What the hell? So I'm like, no, no, I want my people token. You have to like scroll down further. I can't remember the exact thing, but it was not intuitive. Wait, how much was the people token up? Because I saw it going crazy. I invested 500 bucks. It would be worth (laughs) 15,000. And I have to be honest, (laughs) that stinks. (laughs) Oh, that's perfect. That really stings. But I'm not you the only one. You had to pay one. gas fees to get it back too, right? Yeah. I didn't so wait. Fees. So of your $500 that you put into this thing, how much did you pay in gas fees? 400 No. No, 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 no. I think I put in 500 bucks, and I ended up probably spending 80 bucks on gas fees on the way in. By the way, this is why crypto bros complain so much about inflation. They complain that the Dollar Tree is raising their prices from a dollar to a dollar twenty-five, but will gladly pay $300 in gas fees on a $400 purchase. Yeah. This one stinks because my intention was to get the token. And it was not at all intuitive. I hit redeem. <laughs> it should have said like redeem to ETH or redeem to people. Yeah, that's a way better story though. 15 grand. Yikes. Anyhow, somebody tweeted, inspired by the success of Constitution Dow, Swartz Dow, which sounds Swartz, it sounds like a knockoff of Spaceballs or something. Swartz Dow is a decentralized organization with the goal of acquiring paywalled academic journals and publishing all of their content under open access licenses. Ta-da! How cool is that? I mean, that sounds like a lawsuit to me. Why? They're buying it. They want to buy all these journals and open them up? With the goal of acquiring oh, paywall okay. academic journals. Oh, so they're going to buy them. Okay. So I think people are going to contribute to this DAO. They're going to buy these academic shit and just open it up. Oh, I like it. Because every once in a while, I'll do a financial analyst journal one or something. Totally. And you click on it and you can't like, get on it. What the f***? 50, 100 bucks for an article? I just wanted one article. So, boom. What do you think of that? That's a good DAO. I like it. Will you support this DAO? I mean, I'm not going to... Okay. You don't even support your local newspaper. You're not supporting this DAO. Get out of here. I do, too. I subscribe for six months, then I cancel it. You're a horrible, horrible person. It's still earnings season. You're still going? I thought you were done for a while. I'm still going. Listen, promises made, promises kept. I told them we were going to do this. I'm doing it. Let's talk about the Gap first. I remember when I first found out that the Gap owned Banana Republic... Old Navy. Did they ever own J. Crew? No. Or was that, was that separate? That was separate? Oh, big J. Crew guy. We haven't spoken about J. Crew in like a year or two. Still shopping there? Are they still around? I believe this sweater is a J. Crew sweater. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. I remember this is straight Ram Capital, not I don't think he's J. Crew. Probably Haynes. Anyway, I remember when I first found out that the gap owned these stores, my head exploded. Because I didn't have any concept of like businesses. Forget about public, but like just business in general. For some reason, that is like a flashbulb moment with me because I was in the mall and I remember like young Michael was like the whoa Keanu moment. So there's this book called Wild Company, The Untold Story of Banana Republic. And it's by the husband and wife. I think I mentioned on the show a couple years ago, husband and wife who founded Banana Republic. It's a really cool business startup story. 
and they got to the point where they needed to kind of sell out and Gap bought them way back in the day. But the reason it's called Banana Republic, they actually would buy these threads that came from Africa and Italy that looked like you were going on a jungle safari. Mm, interesting. So, all right, let's start with Gap. Big sprayed all over the conference call was the fact that there's port delays. For example, Q3 2021 financial highlights. Here's the first thing it says. Port delays and factory closures, especially in Vietnam, materially impacted Q3 performance and fiscal year 21 outlook, despite strong demand for our brands, which is hilarious. It's like, listen, people really want Gap, <laughs> but we can't. How long do you think after the supply chain crisis is over, these companies will still be using that as an excuse? They can get a couple more quarters out of it at least? Yes, for sure. They said that they estimated, so gross margin hit, approximately $100 million in air freight costs. Inventory, 11% decline. Sales estimated five hundred fifty to six hundred fifty million dollars lost due to inventory constraints. Guess what? Market did not care about excuses. The stock was down twenty four percent. Have you shopped at the Gap in the last day. few years? I get a lot of my clothes from the Gap because my wife gets me my clothes from there. Okay, I'm a simple man. I just like their plain tees. Most of their clothes, though, fell off a cliff five years ago. In terms of quality, honestly, I don't think I would notice. Fashion wise, yes. If you're getting oh, fashion wise, yeah. No more Gap shopping for me. Sorry. Okay. I'm an elitist. Clearly, the gap fell 24% that day. Man, it's still falling. The stock was 37 bucks. It was on a great run. The stock was 37 bucks in May. It's now 16. Jeez. How hard is picking stocks? <laughs> I feel like people only talk about the winners. Here's another one. Nordstrom. Same type of thing. And actually, the stock looks a little bit different. Nordstrom fell 29%. So Nordstrom had a Black Monday. I don't know if this was on Monday. I don't think it was. Nordstrom had a Black Monday after they reported. Same deal as Gap. Stock is still falling. You know what's not falling? Very different story. I don't know exactly why is Dix. And I remember talking about Dix because when Dix was above its 2019 high, this was fairly early on, I said, you're telling me that Dix is in better financial shape now than it was pre-pandemic? You're telling me the business is doing better now than it was before? Yes. The answer on is your yes. your stock picking thing. The cool, smart thing to say if you're a stock picker is, it's not a stock market. It's a market of stocks. It's a stock market. Because if you look at the consumer discretionary Ooh. ETF, XLY, it's up 30% this year. You want to know why? Amazon. 21% is Amazon. 19% is Tesla. 10% is Home Depot. Home all Depot, these other yeah. little stocks at Gap and Nordstrom and all these ones getting killed do not yep. matter. Do not matter. Market cap weighted. The market of stocks doesn't matter. The biggest stocks are the only thing that matters. It's the market. Market cap for the win. Yes. So, all right, Dix, it was the strongest Q3 in company history. Again, I don't know how they didn't have any supply issues, but they didn't. Strongest Q3 in company history, revenue up 14%. Same store sales up 12%. E-commerce sales was 13% in 2019. It's now 19% today. We'll share some of the charts. I mean, this the financial performance of this company is on fire. The Omnichannel on fire. You ever buy your black Nike hats from Dix? They're crushing How many of those do you have? My... A lot. Actually, I no, bought you one once a as a present, and you didn't like the fit. Oh, really? Don't you don't remember that? <laughs> uh, vaguely. I probably have like four of these. Okay. But the ones that I really like, the ones that I really like had like the mesh here. They don't make them anymore. Can't find okay. them. That's a good reminder, because that's the hat that I like. It was like a Nike golf hat. Come on, damn it. I don't make them anymore. That's a shame. Anyway, Dix is on fire. Zoom. We were joking. Or I was joking with Jeff Mackey. I think you and I were talking about this. Zoom was another one of those stocks down 50% going into earnings. Ah, all the bad news is in the name. LOL. The stock got freaking annihilated. Let's see. 
Oh, this was interesting on the earnings call. So the stock got creamed. I forget what it fell, 15% the next day. The stock was down. How much is this stock down from its high? It peaked at ExxonMobil, and now it's at Dick's Sporting Goods. <laughs> That's another thing. Like You can see the drawdowns, but if you look at what some of these market caps used to be, like Peloton went from almost a $50 billion market cap to eight now or something like that. That's the crazy thing to me is the market cap. Come on, Robinhood. Robinhood's like a $20 billion. All-time low, correct? I'm not kidding. I think the valuation is becoming very attractive at Robinhood, even though it's hard to catch a bottom. Do you think this is at all saying that like the day trading craziness of what's going on is abating a little? That's exactly what it's saying. But still, $20 billion, I think, is a fair okay, price. Okay, someone asked you, so you talked about- Vanguard should buy Robinhood. There you go. You talked about Zoom getting killed. Someone asked us, replied to the show last week, said, hey, I got destroyed in Teladoc. I got greedy after winning big on the first bubble. Can you or Michael give any insights onto what indications trigger your sell instincts? Or am I just a Neanderthal for being in risky stocks like TDoc and not watching my account like a hawk? I think there's two ways to think about this if you're investing in growth stocks. If you're going to hold on to these stocks, you're going to get killed occasionally. Correct. Have to. You cannot sidestep that. You're going to get crushed. Otherwise, price is the only indicator there is. For something like this, if you want to use technicals to get out, if you have a some sort of trailing, whatever, moving average, trailing, whatever it is. Other than that, I don't know what else you can do because looking at the fundamentals of these things versus the stock price, people are pulling forward so much stock price now of what the future could be that it's hard to mesh up those fundamentals with the current price at all anymore. I think if you're investing in growth stocks, hyper growth stocks, trading at ridiculous valuations, you need to have some sort of risk management, my opinion, because your risk management is either I will never, ever, ever sell, which you're probably fooling yourself because guess what? Most stocks are not Amazon. Most stocks are not Tesla. Most stocks that fall 70% empirically never come back. That agony in the ecstasy piece that we always talk about. So if you're going to invest, I don't care if it's a moving average, a trailing stop, a price point, whatever. I think most people should manage risk with growth stocks. But getting back to Zoom, a few questions about the metaverse I thought was interesting. Somebody asked, this is the first question, or I think it was the first question. I'm wondering as you think about the over 400 million business phone users that are on legacy technology, how do you anticipate capitalizing that opportunity? Whoa, 400 million business phones in this market, in this economy? Haven't most of them- 400 million business phones? What do you think Zoom users are, do they say? How do they categorize them? I'm saying like what percentage of that are Zoom users now? It's gotta be a uh, large percentage at this point. I don't think Zoom is that big. So their quarter over quarter revenue- was only up 3%. Year over year, it's still up huge, but still, that's not great. So they break down their customer base by more than 10 employees or less. Customers with over 10 employees grew by just 1.4%. I'm sorry. You're selling at 30 times sales? This isn't going to cut it. You're going to get bushwhacked. That's exactly what happened. But at least in the case of Zoom, $395 million in operating cash flow. They've got $5 billion on the balance sheet. Unlike Peloton, I don't know what their cash position is. Actually, I do. It's not great. They have to raise money. What are you saying? Zoom should pay a dividend now? I think Zoom is going to be fine. I mean, easy for me to say, I don't own the stock. But anyway, that's what we got for great quarter guys. And actually, not a great quarter guys. That's from the quarter app. It's from us. But go to the quarter app if you haven't downloaded it already. Q-U-A-R-T-R finance is a quarter finance, quarter invest. I don't know, something like that. All right. So we talked about Robinhood, maybe people slowing down a little. Apparently, they're not with Tesla. So this is from the FT. It said the nominal trading value of Tesla options has averaged $241 billion a day in recent weeks. That's according to Goldman Sachs. That compares with $138 billion for Amazon and $112 billion for the rest of the S&P combined. So basically, all the options in the S&P 500 stocks are on Tesla and Amazon. This is wild. What's the circular reasoning here behind, are the options moving Tesla or is Tesla moving so much, getting people to bet in the options? And then like, how much of that just feeds on itself? Don't know. I mean- 
Corey and Hofstein and people like that spend a lot of time on this, on how much is the tail wagging the dog of the options market. It's funny to me that people think that like people buying index funds are going to impact the market. I would think this options type of activity has a way bigger impact on individual names than being included in the SP 500 now, the Russell 2000 or whatever. For sure. All right. Here is from Reuters. This was a revision from Morgan Stanley. This is a few days before we had the variant hit. So this may be in jeopardy. Incorporating the wealth of data today, including GDP revisions to Q321, more robust spending, strong inventory, strong durable goods orders, and upside in new home sales, we significantly raise our Q4 GDP tracking from 3% to 8.7%. And if I'm not mistaken, that's real. That's huge. That's real. That's after inflation. So with inflation, we're talking, I don't know, 14% nominal GDP growth annualized for the quarter? Let's bet on that. I'm taking the other side. Right You're now. saying no way. so because of the variant or just because you think that's too overboard? 14% nominal GDP growth? Annualized. I no, I understand. My wife is 5% of that with her holiday shopping so far. <laughs> she got duped. Did they not dupe everyone into saying buy all your stuff early because of the supply crisis? We've had no problem getting anything for the last two months. Have you? I don't know. No, we haven't. The boys get eight presents each. We're already on night You three. see, that's the beauty of Hanukkah. You have a set cap on your presents. Oh, I never thought about it that way. We don't have that. You have like a rules Christmas base. Is like a- you have like portfolio rules for your presents for Hanukkah. Yeah, you get seven like, what are you? By the whatever. way. You get seven like trinkets and you get one big gift. I complained about my trees to you a few months ago. I have another tree issue. We went to go get a Christmas tree last week. As you know, I'm a big tree guy, so go we ahead. We went to get a Christmas tree last week. And it's one of these ones where you cut it down yourself. Oak, cherry. <laughs> we go in to cut the Christmas tree down. And all the ones in the field, we walk like for miles and miles, there's trees. Hold on. Hold on. First of all, I have no idea what you're talking about. You Go to a Christmas tree farm your, oh, and you can cut it down cut, yourself. You, oh, no kidding. With what? A chainsaw? They give you a saw that you can do yourself. A manual yes, saw. Yes. It sounds way better in theory than in practice. So we get out there. That sounds awful. Yeah, it was, frankly. We're walking over. The kids can't decide on which tree we should get. And all the trees have like three more years to grow until they're tall enough to get a big one like we want. So- the problem is they had cut down all the big ones and already had them ready to go at the front. So we didn't have to cut. So we walked all the way back and got one that looked really nice. We bring it back and they put it in the little machine that shakes all the needles off. It's like, all right, ready to go. I strap it on my car with like around eight times with rope. Like I know what I'm doing. Luckily, it doesn't move. Get back to the house and we're putting it up and pine needles are going everywhere. The guy's like, well, you got to put water in the first half hour. You get it back. Like otherwise it's going to be dry. And we're like, all right. Wait, I don't know anything about this. What does the base of the tree sit on? The tree stand, this big green thing, and you put some screws into it so it holds it up. And we got, I mean, we're talking to the top of our nine foot ceilings. The star is touching. I had to cut, trim some of this wood fit. It was huge. Every time my dog would walk under it, one of the kids would brush past it. The needles are falling off. And this is a huge tree. This is like a nine foot tree. Is that unusual? Yes, or? they should not. Especially if you're water. We're like, okay, maybe it's just going to be water. They gave us a bad tree. It died, basically. All the needles fell uh... off. You got a lemon. Yes, we had a lemon of a tree. <laughs> so now what? Pitta spent 100 bucks on it. Do I go back and ask for a refund? We threw it in the backyard. Now my wife is going to get a fake tree. This is my nightmare. I love real trees, and now we're a fake tree family. I blame the Christmas tree farm for selling us a lemon. Anyway. Interesting. All right. Does Christmas trees have anything to do with lumber? Like, what were the prices? That's probably normal. I did hear people say you got to get your Christmas tree early because they might not have enough. But I think that's for places. If you're like in New York City and you're buying one because there's no farms, they're like, we have... Christmas tree farms all over the place. I don't think it's a problem for us to get one in Michigan. All right. So Elizabeth Warren got ratioed. She tweeted, wondering why your Thanksgiving groceries cost more this year. It's because greedy corporations are charging Americans extra just to keep their stock prices high. This is outrageous. I started getting ratioed. Hot take. I agree with her. (laughs) 
home. I kind of agree with her. Listen, there's a lot of stuff Elizabeth Warren says. She wanted to get rid of Powell. Like, give me a break. She wanted to, like, get rid of buybacks. You will not stand for that. Yes, I will not stand for Jerome Powell slander. But you're with her on this? Okay, look at this next chart. Look at the S&P 500 profit margins. And then look at the next chart here. Consumer discretionary and consumer staple profit margins. These things are at all-time highs. If they're really having a problem with inflation, why are their profit margins at all-time highs? I agree with her. They're raising prices to keep their margins high, and they're passing on higher prices to consumers. They're not only experiencing a little inflation, their profit margins have gone up for consumer staple and consumer discretionary companies in the S&P. She is right. This is greedy corporations. What if she brought data to her tweet? Would she have still gotten ratioed? People don't care about data, though. That's the problem. That's true. People just care about emotion on Twitter. Okay. All right. There was a tweet from Mike Simonson, who is a real estate expert, and he showed the inventory of homes for sale in the US. And you can see over time, every year, it's seasonal. It spikes, it goes down, it spikes, it goes down. You get more inventory in the summer, and then it sort of abates. And you should expect to see inventory rise when you get away from the summer. Inventory rise in the winter because not as many people are buying homes. It hasn't really happened yet. And he's saying, this is kind of odd. We're not seeing the seasonality hit like we did before. Connor Sen from Bloomberg gave a hot take here that said the simplest read of the housing market data right now is that home prices are still too low. <laughs> I don't want to open up this can of worms again, but he says, you know, next time inventory is historically low and may set an all time low in early 2022. Price cut percentages are below normal. Incomes are growing rapidly. What does that have to do with prices though? It's a supply thing. He's saying if we don't have inventory come back on board or mortgage rates go way up, home prices are going to continue to rise and are probably too low based on those factors. And I tend to agree with him that if we don't have mortgage rates scream higher, and I don't see what's going to cause inventory to all of a sudden flood the market, you're probably in a situation where home prices are going to continue to get away from people that are waiting. Put your money where your mouth is. Oh, this could be another Kelsey bet we could make. Because I will take the other side of you right now. Is there a real estate section? We're going to have to talk to them. Oh, uh, all right. What would that look like? Will Case Schiller, right? That's the home price index. Mm-hmm. Is it a 20-city index? Yeah, there's a national one. What do you think it's going to be in the next six months? Cumulative. Connor said bet on 0.5 to no, 1% No, what do monthly. you say? What do you say, sir? I'm saying in the next 18 months, housing prices will not fall. 18 months? 18, 24, give me a number, 36. Housing prices are not going down. I'm not making a 36-month bet. That's so Okay, lame. 12 right, months. Over whatever. the next 12 months, housing prices will not fall in the United States. Dude. You're like saying that home prices are going to keep going up and then you're like, home prices will not drop. Well, which is it? Are they going up a lot or are they not dropping? Come on. That means that if they don't drop, they're still going up, correct? Do the math. Not Come, doing on. The math. Come on, Zach Galifianakis. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. If they don't drop, prices they're still rising. rising. Prices are going to keep rising a lot, I say, and then I will okay, bet they, they will The next fall. 12 months, U.S. housing prices are up at least 7% over the next 12 months. 10. 10 and you got about. Eight and a half. Split the difference. No. All right, let's talk about inflation in the metaverse. Oh, God. Do we have to do this? Yeah, I have to read this. I have to read this. Here's a quote from the Wall Street Journal. Investors' interest in virtual real estate got a boost last month after Facebook renamed itself Meta Platforms, Inc. and said it would focus on online worlds commonly called the metaverse. That interest reached a new peak on Tuesday when Republic Realm, a firm that develops real estate in the metaverse, said it paid $4.3 million for land in the world's sandbox, the biggest virtual real estate sale publicized to date, according to the company and to date from the website nonfungible.com, which tracks digital land sales. Let me ask you this, end quote. Let me ask you this, Ben. 
when is Zillow going to buy nonfungible.com? What's the <laughs> Zestimate for, for some of these digital real estate? My eyes just rolled in the back of the head. The problem is that real estate is probably going to worth like $2 billion in like 17 months and it's going to look smart, but... So I don't know who said this, Chris Dixon or somebody, all big things start looking like a toy. I'm sorry. I read the wrong quote. Here's the actual quote that I wanted to read that's going to make your eyebrows go to the back of your brain. A landlord said, and then we charge rent. <laughs> the company employs an asset manager to deal with tenants' complaints and change requests. Its developments include a mall, which leases to retailers selling fashion for avatars, and a master planned community of around 100 villas on private islands that is sold to individuals. Tokens.com, which is publicly traded, is currently developing an 18-story skyscraper in Decentraland that it hopes to lease to lawyers. Or cryptocurrency exchanges. Why do you think they stopped it at 18? Do you think they have can some use the building, building for codes for that? Av- there must be codes in the metaverse. I don't know. By I'm the, way, the old man yelling at the cloud right are, now. Me too. But this is going to be so huge. It's going to be I huge. just started reading Ready Player Two, the follow-up to Ready Player One. And it's all about, again, living in the metaverse and like plugging in this thing to your brain that you plug on the headset and it connects to your brain. And everything that you're experiencing in this Ready Player Two metaverse you can feel if you eat something, you can actually taste it. It like messes with your taste buds, basically. I'm sorry, that's just a world that I don't want. Call me an old man, get off my lawn, kind of thing. This stuff is coming. This is just a world that I think I would rather tell people get outside and get some sunlight. But how about this? That's all I say. Get outside and go for a jog or bike ride. Okay, you can do both. Stop. Why would you plant a flag when you don't even know what you're talking about? Let's just give a time and say, like, you don't have to decide right now before there even is a metaverse. You don't have to decide. Did you ever see the Bruce Willis movie called, like, Imposters or something, where everyone was plugged into their metaverse, but Bruce Willis refused to do it? You would plug in in your house and your robot person of you would be living in the world. Never heard of this. I can't remember what the name is. But Bruce Willis was anti. And so the idea was you can never get hurt if you just sit in your home with your headset on and have your avatar be in the real world for you. And Bruce Willis was anti and wouldn't do it. I'm Bruce Willis in this scenario. Oh, it's I Googled Bruce Willis metaverse movie. It's called Surrogates. Surrogates. That's it. Yes. So your surrogate lives the world for you and you have your headset on and you can never get hurt technically. Bruce Willis said, screw it. I'm going to live in the real world and go against it. I like that. Not a great movie, but not a bad one. Kind of like a poor man's iRobot. Oh, we were talking about Waystar Royco's market cap. Well, I tried to figure out what the drawdown is. So Jamie Powell at the FT figured this out. And I must have missed this. So this is, what's the guy's name? Adrian Brody's character. I don't think there's too many spoiler alerts here. People say that we do spoilers too much for Succession, but I don't think we do. So this guy... Oh, I have not seen the most recent episode. I'm not going to spoil anything. So this says that Adrian Brody's character says he lost $350 million or 10% on his 4% position. Backing that out, that's like an $80 billion company. And they also said Roman Roy on the recent Retired Janitors of Idaho episode said we're talking about an $85 billion baby here. So that they've basically said, and I must have missed it. Here's my hot take on the new season of Succession without getting any spoilers. I loved season one and two. Remember before the season started, I said I rewatched season one and two, and I think it's got top five potential. I loved season one and two. I like season three. I think I'm going to need a bombshell in the last three episodes to bring me to love because you haven't seen the last episode yet. They're doing everything in their power to make you hate these characters. You're never supposed to like them because they're rich, but... Well, the scene two episodes ago where Logan forces Shiv to get in the picture with that dirtbag politician, who, by the way, was amazing in Weeds. I love that guy. That was the episode where they're picking the president. Like, that was like whole... I I like that episode. know these people are bad, but like these people are evil bad. So, Entourage. Did you ever watch Entourage? The first few seasons are amazing. And hilarious. By the end of the show, you didn't like any of the characters. But there also was a bad plot. So you can't have 
unlikable characters and a bad plot. If you're going to have unlikable characters like on Breaking Bad, you need to have an amazing plot. So my problem is this season, they're making all the characters even more unlikable, but they're not moving forward the plot at all. I'm still rolling with Succession. I like it. If I'm going to love it, I'm going to need some plot bombshell in the last three episodes. That's what I'm saying. While we're on this topic, you know what's for me has gone very far south very quickly, and I'm not happy about it? Yellowstone. Oh, really? I'm still in. I mean, the thing is that nothing's happening. That show is so over the top that I'm along for the ride. No, I understand, but nothing's happening. I love Rip so much that he could do anything and I'd be on board. I know, but no, I agree. Rip is great, but it's just nothing's happening. I'm, I'm bored. But conversely, you know what's just keeps getting better? Is it 20th season? Curb keeps getting better. <laughs> yes, it does. He set a very high bar and he keeps staying high. Did we talk about the two-tone? The shirt. The two-tone yeah. shirt, the blue and gray? Yeah. Vince Vaughn is finally rounding into a good character for me too. All right, one thing on movies here before we get to some recommendations. No Time to Die is a new James Bond movie. It says it eclipsed $730 million in global ticket sales. Not a great movie. Okay, I didn't Not see it. Not a great it. movie. I thought the last one was just okay too, so I don't know. Maybe I'll rent it when it comes out. It says it's the highest grossing film since COVID, so since 2019. However, it costs more than $250 million to produce, $100 million to promote, tens of millions more to postpone it. They're basically saying it needs to make 900 just to break even. Uh, is inflation killing the movie business? I did my part. I went to the theater. You didn't go. Is inflation killing the movie theater business? I mean, are they going to charge $40 for... That's where you're worried about inflation? The movie theater <laughs> business, Ben? Yeah. Tongue in cheek. Sorry. Did you see the Squid Game thing? This guy, Mr. Beast, YouTube sensation, recreated the actual Squid Game contest. See this? Yeah, he got 100 million views or something. Let's see what it's up to now. I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched the first few minutes. I was like, oh, that's cute. I get it. 125 million views. Good Lord. Okay. People keep saying this is a positive for the creator economy. This guy's not a creator. He just, he recreated something. It's the recreator economy. Well, he's also- I'm joking. I'm just the, kidding. No, I understand. But he's also the, I don't want to say the Jim Cramer. That was a weird analogy. He's the top of the top of the top of the top of the top. Yes, this guy has figured out, he's figured out YouTube. Yeah, he's not a random. No, no, yes, I know. There was a good story in Bloomberg on him six or eight months ago, and he's figured out YouTube, basically. Recommendations. I'll go first. Do you listen to the Big Picture podcast ever? Occasionally. Okay. They did one on Ridley Scott- because he did The Last House of Gucci. Is that the name of the movie? The House of Gucci? I love Ridley Scott. Probably my favorite filmmaker of all time. Okay. I always get him confused with his brother, though, as far as Tony I Scott. need the IMDb side by side. So Ridley Scott did the Alien movies and Prometheus, right? Tony Scott does all the action films. He did Man on Fire. Yes. He did Man on Fire. I love that movie. He did the train movie with Denzel, I believe. Unstoppable. What's the Gene Hackman movie on the subway with Denzel? Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. He did Tarantino's first movie, True Romance. Okay, so Ridley Scott is more of the sci-fi anyway, one. Ridley Scott, he was in The Hollywood Reporter. He's blaming millennials for the last Duel's box office performance. Shame on me. I didn't get to go see it. He said what it boils down to are the audiences who were brought up on cell phones. <clears throat> ben, the millennian, he calls it the millennian, who do not ever want to be taught anything unless you're told it on the cell phone. Ooh. Come on, <laughs> Shots Ridley. Fired. Shots fired. This movie looks good. I'm going to definitely watch it when it comes out on my TV. Listen to this guy. He did The Martian, of course, Blade Runner, Gladiator, all the Aliens movies, which I was thinking about this. Aliens and Jurassic Park are my two favorite, and then Terminator, my favorite stories, universes. No, my favorite trilogies, multiple, anything Aliens I'm in. Prometheus, Covenant, love it. Love it, love it, love it. James Miller was on a podcast with Bill Simmons. James Miller is the guy that does like those long stories. He did a book on ESPN. I read his ESPN book. It's very good. He does the Origins podcast. He did Almost Famous that we spoke about a while ago. And they were talking about, so he just did a long book on HBO, which I'm definitely not going to read, but I'm glad I listened to the podcast. They were talking about like all the comedy specials. I didn't 
realize that Eddie Murphy's specials, Delirious and Raw, premiered on HBO. Did you? Well, yeah, that was like even as recently as like Chris Rock's big specials were always on HBO too, back in the day. That's right. Yeah, HBO used to own comedy. Now it's Netflix. Did you watch the DMX documentary? No, those 90s music documentaries aren't really piquing my interest. Okay, very heavy. It was made before he passed. This is not an after the fact thing. It was like a day in the life of DMX. And that guy was like gigantic in the 90s. Remember Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood? Remember like the cover of that album? Anyway, that was very good. Lastly, lastly, shout to Ben C for putting this on my radar. True story. Did you watch any of that at all? I didn't check it out yet. Okay. True story is on Netflix. It's with Kevin Hart, who plays Kevin Hart, basically, and his deadbeat brother, Wesley Snipes, who's coming to him for money. And I'm mad at Wesley Snipes. I'm mad that he left us. That he went to jail for so long. and He needed a better tax advisor. That's the problem. He should have talked to Bill Sweet. I'm mad at the whole situation because he was such a good actor. He was my favorite action Remember Passenger 57? Of course. Of course. Love that movie. Always bet I'm black. Love that guy. <laughs> Love that guy. So anyway, he was in this show and he was incredible. He was so good. And this show is like sort of like a, I don't want to give anything away, but it's got serious uncut gems vibes in terms of the amount of discomfort and anxiety that you feel watching it because shit goes bad. And for the first time in my life, so I was upstate on Saturday. I had all day to do nothing. Robin was with the boys. It was a perfect setup for me. So I binged seven episodes in a day. First time in like, I don't know, a decade I've done something like that. The reason why I was able to do it was because I watched on 1.25 times speed. I didn't realize you could do that on Netflix. Never done that in my life. And I don't know that I would do this for like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. But for something like this, I didn't notice any difference because all that it did really was kill the dead time. It just sped it up. So anyway, I'm going to give that seven episode series a giant stamp. Very good. A lot of fun. We watched Stillwater this weekend, which is the Matt Damon movie where he plays Amanda Knox's. Yeah, it's kind of like an Amanda Knox, that kind of story. It was way too long. It was like two hours and 15 minutes. It should have been an hour and 45 minutes probably. How was it? I liked it. He was awesome. As He played like this redneck from Oklahoma who goes over to the south of France to try to save his daughter. And I don't know if you would like it because it was a kind of a coming age story of a person finding themselves and also a little bit of a love story. But then it also had this murder mystery detective twist to it. And it had a very good twist ending, actually. I don't know that you would like it, but I really enjoyed it. And Matt Damon as this oil rig guy, redneck from Oklahoma, was so good and believable. I love when you tell me to stay away from movies, unironically, because guess what? I'm not going to watch it. it. I don't think you'd like it. I'm not going to watch it. Let me just get back to Ridley Scott, because I just want to give the man his proper due. So he made Alien in 1979, obviously one of the best movies of all time. Then he made Blade Runner three years later. So he took a break. Thelma and Louise in 1991, huge movie. Do you remember when Gladiator came out? It was 2000. That was one of the biggest blockbusters in my lifetime. Remember the Kid Rock commercial? Like the Kid Rock song? Oh, yeah. Right. For the coming attraction. He did Hannibal, which was eh. Black Hawk Down. Matchstick Men. One of my favorites. That is a good one. Underrated. American Gangster. Good, not great. Body of Lies. Eh. Robin Hood sucked. All right. Then he comes back with Prometheus. The Martian. I like Alien Covenant. I mean, House of Gucci. He's like 80 years old, by the way. Is that a resume or what? Not bad. All right. I'm looking for listener support for this one. This weekend, I watched Just Friends and Office Christmas Party. Listener support? Why? What are you about to say? I'm trying to think. Most of the good holiday Christmas movies are old ones. 
from the 80s, 90s, even before that. What are the best Christmas movies of this century? So I'm thinking Family Man, Just Friends. Office Christmas Party is 60% of a good movie. It's Just Friends with Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds. Yes. I think it's some of his best work. Is that when he gets fat or he was fat growing up? He wears the fat suit, yeah, yes. Yeah, okay. It's on Netflix. That was I fun. find that hilarious. So I'm looking for, send me your best Christmas movies of this century. I'm compiling a list. Hmm. What do you got you so think far? about it. Well, what's on the list? Family Man, Nicolas Cage. I think Never The Family Stone is underrated. Just Friends, Office Christmas Party. I need some more. All right, listeners, send me the best Hanukkah movies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next Monday, we have Scott Lynn from Masterworks back on to talk about the contemporary art market and becoming a unicorn. I think that was our best episode with Scott yet. We had a good one. And what it's like to become a unicorn. Send us an email, animalspiritspod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.